This is the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast, where we bring on the experts to teach you the golden nuggets of real estate investing so you can escape the rat race and start living life on your terms. Now, here's your host, Dalen Hazel. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast. I'm very happy you're here. Today, we've got an awesome interview with a young hustler who's just making things happen in real estate. By the end of this episode, there should be no reason why you can't start investing today in real estate. We talk about how to find deals, how to fund deals, and also what strategy to pick when you're just getting started out. We also go into networking. Bailey Kramer, our guest, has an awesome hack about how to meet someone, uh, one person a day in the industry to grow your network. But before all that, here's today's golden nugget of the day. Today's golden nugget is find a real estate side hustle that can supplement your investing. If you lack funds or you need some experience, a side hustle related to real estate can be a perfect way in. This could be a house flipper, a real estate agent, a leasing agent, Airbnb property manager, maybe just a bookkeeper for a real estate company. It doesn't matter. Um, you just need to find a side hustle that works for you, works for your schedule, and can give you that hands-on experience. So with that said, let me introduce today's guest. Bailey Kramer is a real estate investor, entrepreneur, and podcast host based in sunny Orlando, Florida. He uncovered his passion for real estate investing when he was just 19 years old. Since then, Bailey has focused on acquiring properties, all using creative financing strategies. Bailey also co-founded an off-market real estate lead generation company that serves investors across the nation called Property Dogs. In his free time, Bailey enjoys traveling, playing sports, and eating delicious food. So without further ado, here is episode five of the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast. Hey, Bailey, welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on? Super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet, you bet. Can you give a short introduction about yourself and why you chose real estate? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, so many places I can go with this, but basically, um, my name is Bailey. I am 21 years old and just starting my senior year of college at the University of Central Florida. I first got involved in real estate and interest in real estate from reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I have the book right here. This was the book that kicked it off for me when I was 19. I was still in college at the time. And kind of what happened was I've always been interested in entrepreneurship. I liked the benefits from it like having just control. Obviously it's not, you know, there's no get rich quick, but the, the ability for you to control your time in the long run. I really enjoyed the money that you could make and, and your potential from it. And just again, that control. So when I was 19, picked up Rich Dad, Poor Dad, just kind of seeking education, came across real estate investing through the book. And that was like my introduction to real estate investing. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's a good start. Um, and to discover that at 19 is pretty impressive. A lot of people don't you know, get into real estate until later in life because they think you have to have a lot of money to get started and so forth, which we're going to talk a lot about that during the show. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Bailey runs an awesome real estate investing podcast as well. He taught me everything that I know about podcasting. So for that, I'm very <laughs> grateful. And I, it was basically a, a no-brainer for me to go ahead and have him on the show. But um yeah, Bailey, I'm just going to kind of jump into some questions I prepared. You know, what was it like being 19 and, and just coming to this incredible realization that real estate was right for you? 
Yeah, it was it was wild and it 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 took a little bit of time. It wasn't like I didn't just read the book and say, "Oh my god, I, I want to be I want to want to be a real estate investor." Basically what happened was I, I read the book and then basically like everything that's said in the in Rich Dad Poor Dad, I'm like, "That makes sense. I agree with it." Pretty much everything in that book is like that. So then afterwards, and he he mentioned real estate a few times, but nothing too in depth. But then afterwards, I decided, "Okay, who's this Robert Kiyosaki guy, the author?" I look him up and it says he has a net worth of uh, some crazy uh, amount of money, like 80 plus million dollars. I'm like, what? And it said, well, you know, the, his biggest asset or, you know, the thing that he contributes most of his wealth to is real estate. And I was like, well, what does that even mean? So that just kicked off the, I was like, whoa, I want to learn. I just want to learn more about what that even means and see if I could maybe follow suit. So then I found bigger pockets which is another incredible resource. And that's where I actually started the real education within um, for, for real estate, where I was actually consuming content, reading books, listening to the podcasts, and I was able to actually understand what real estate investing actually is and see you know, how I could actually fit myself inside the industry. Yeah, I think that's so crazy about the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book because that book doesn't really advocate to just go all out on real estate investing, right. but so many people read it and then go invest in real estate because <laughs> of the, the cash flow aspect, getting your income now versus waiting for it. So yeah. So what, what did you do first? I mean, I know you said you researched bigger pockets and so forth. Uh, what else did you do first after that kind of spiritual awakening, so to speak? <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly what it was. So after I read that book, the first thing I did was I, I went to my roommates uh, and I said, you guys both need to read this book. I said, I don't care if you like it or not. I don't care if you like reading or not. You have to read this book. I was like, all right, this is the one. But um, but seriously, I, after I read it, I um, just started researching just like any newbie would do, like how to get started in real estate investing and what is real estate, how to make money in real estate. And and I, I just came across bigger pockets. And at the time, as you know, and if the listeners don't, bigger pockets have so many different resources. So in the very beginning stage, I, I call it education mode. So I was strictly spending my days listening to podcasts, reading books, and you know, attending the webinars, anything educational, I was doing all day every day. Um after that, after I'd probably I'd probably say two months, maybe even three months of strictly just consuming content nonstop. I then went into what I call networking mode. And that's where I actually started reaching out to people on bigger pockets and a few other strategies I used to connect with people in the industry. And and in this like three to four month period, I still didn't really know too much of what I wanted to do or where I was actually, get. more importantly, I, I didn't really know where I was going with all this effort and all of this time I invested. I just knew that it felt like the right steps to take because I knew I wanted to get involved in real estate in some way, somehow. I just, I just wanted to take these steps to see kind of where it led me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you took those first steps and now you're in the networking stage. And I think that's kind of unique because that's the stage I'm in. I've built the foundation. I've you know done all the, a lot of research and I've done a few deals. So now I'm kind of in the same place as you are because I think when did you kind of come to this realization? Was it the end of 2019 or 2020? Yeah, 2019. Okay. So kind of 
same time frame as as me. Um, so how long should someone educate themselves before they actually take action? Because I know for you is like three months. How, how long for the average person? Yeah. So what I, what I what I say about education is is this: all you need is a baseline education. You just need to be able to have a conversation with somebody, and yeah, you might feel a little uncomfortable, or maybe not you don't know everything that they say. But you just need to understand the basics and some of the basic terminology. So if you're interested in fixing and flipping, you know, just understanding what the process looks like. And it could be as simple as, okay, you buy a place that needs work. You need to put money into it to fix it up. And then you're going to sell it. Obviously, there's a ton more technical aspects to it. But as long as you understand, and you could maybe even explain it to somebody who has never heard of fixing and flipping in their life, as long as you can kind of basically, you know, explain it to somebody. That's what I call a baseline education. And that's literally all you need because the the thing about real estate investing, it's not about the people who make the money, the most amount of money don't necessarily have, they're not technically the smartest investors out there. They're the people that, that the, the second pillar, the networking piece that know the right people. Because if you, if you're sitting in your room and you know the most about real estate investing, but you're sitting in your room, and you don't know anybody, you're going to get zero deals. You're going to make no progress, nothing. If you know a baseline, if you have baseline education, you read, you read a couple books, you understand the concept, you're passionate about it, and you match that with building your network, that's all you need, that baseline education. And that networking piece is by far 10 times more important than the education. Yeah. And I think the best way to learn is to teach others. So like what you did after you read that book, you immediately shared it with a couple of your friends. So, and there's always people out there that know less than we do, right? So even if you're at the bottom, you're just starting out, you can always teach somebody else and that will just reinforce it for you and make you more passionate about it 100%. And, and build your network in the process. hundred percent. Totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So how much money did you do you recommend getting started out in real estate? Because I imagine at 19, you probably didn't have a lot of starting capital. Right. And, and, and just to mention too, so when I was 19, end of 2019, when I was 19 years old, that's when I you know found it. Three months later, I was like, okay, I like this. And it wasn't actually till a year later till I actually got my first deal under, belt, uh, under, under my belt. So it was actually 2020, 2021 in February. But since December of 2019 is almost January 2020. It's about a year. Yeah. Um, a little bit more. I mean, you had that year of education. Were you saving up money during that time to make that first deal? What was your starting capital gotcha. like? Yeah. So so starting out capital-wise, again, it it's different for every single person in every different situation. So when I was first starting out, I wasn't really focused on saving up a certain amount of money or I need to get this amount of money, then I can get started. Because again, the the networking piece was bigger, was more important to me. And that's when I actually joined a mastermind group and, and just leaned on that. Because like I said, it's not about the money. It's not about the education. It's about who you know and, and your connections. So it, it's, it's super hard to say how much money you need to start. And I would say it depends on your goals. If you want to be if you want to be an investor, you don't take on any outside capital, you want to run the show 100% and you want, you know, then okay, you're going to probably need a down payment. However much money that is for the house you want or the, the property you want, you need that much money. 
if you want to be more creative with it and you say, okay, I can partner with people. I can, I can kind of trade some of my um, knowledge, time, hustle, whatever for their capital and partner together. Well, then you might need not need, uh, you know, just a couple thousand dollars and you'll, you'll be good. So my first deal that I did was a fix and flip deal. And for that one, we raised um, investor capital. So we raised 80 or $85,000 for the, for the down, for the purchase. We bought it cash and then 30 or 35. Can't remember the numbers for the, for the remodel. So in that scenario, I didn't necessarily have to come up with any money out of pocket. It's totally feasible to, to do that for any investors. Now I do want to say it's to say zero money down or zero out of pocket. It's, it, it's hard to, I, I can't be confident say you, you can start with zero you technically can if you want to go door knock and you have a contract, you, you, you download it from the internet and you're going to do it. It's possible, but there are, you know, obviously costs and you need to be able to support yourself. I'm luckily in college, so I have that right now, but ideally you need a couple thousand bucks to start. Right. Yeah. It's almost kind of a flawed question because you can get so creative with it to where you don't have any money in the deal. Like if you just partner right. Or if you bring the deal by door knocking, which is free, then you right. could technically bring it to somebody and then they could start working on it, fund it and everything. So it's right. like, it's, no money it's, yeah, it's possible. It's, it's definitely yeah. possible. But, um, you know, a, a couple thousand bucks wouldn't hurt. A couple hundred bucks even. Yeah. Yeah. So is there an ideal strategy that suits beginners best? I know you started with fix and flip. Or does it just depend on one's starting capital, time and knowledge? Yeah. So that's a great question. So and that, that's actually one of the biggest lessons I learned in my journey. So I'll kind of share what, what happened. When I first was reading the books, doing education, I was like, okay, multifamily real estate, which is basically apartments is the way to go. I'm like, there's so much money to be made. I could buy a hundred unit building. It'll cost like $10 million, whatever, but I'll raise it and I'll partner and it'll be great. And I'll be making money in my sleep, which uh, sounds great. So this kind of ties into like the strategies. So that's kind of what I spent. I think part of the reason why it took me so long to get the first deal was because I made the mistake of not picking the right strategy for me. And the reason it was is because, you know, I kind of got, it, it was like a shiny object. It was like, it looked so great. But for me at the time and me right now, the thing that I do need right now is I want to get experience and I want to make some money. That's the position I'm in right now. And what I realized about multifamily is, for, so on the experience side, typically, if you're doing a big multifamily deals, you're only doing a couple of them a year. Maybe if you're super experienced, you could do you know a little bit more. But typically, these deals are just larger. They take a lot more time to you know do due diligence, get it under contract, actually finding the deal. There's so much to it. And it's so much bigger that it just takes more time. There's no knock against it. It's just kind of facts. So for me, I realized number one, okay, this is for experience wise, I could be working a, one deal for three months and it could fall through. And then even if it went through, I only have one deal that I got experience from. So that was, that was mm-hmm. the first part of it. The second part of it was, okay, how much money am I actually going to make from this multifamily deal? Because typically in like a syndication type structure, the general partners, which is basically the active investors and what I wanted to do, owns 20% of the deal. 
So if there's a hundred units and I'm part of the, the GP team, the general partner team, and I own 20%, but in that general partnership, let's just say I only own 10%, you start breaking the numbers down. You're like, oh, you only actually own, tech, I mean, not technically, but you basically only have like one or two units when you really break it down. And with the contribution I would have been making just with my time and maybe a deal, maybe deal finding. So, you know, long story short, it just right this second, not the right strategy for me, but definitely in the future, I, I think it's, I think it, it could be worthwhile for myself. But when I realized, okay, experience and I want to make some money, single family was where it was at for me because there's just more single families out there. And that's really it. They move a lot quicker. They're a lot less complex, but you can still get great experience from them. That'll help you moving forward. So that's kind of my long-winded answer of make sure you just see what your goals are and pick the strategy that works best for it. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of the area I'm in right now, just doing single family, right? And uh, it doesn't mean that I've taken my eyes off of the long-term goal, if, if that's multifamily or otherwise syndication, whatever. But it just means like, be where you're at, at this time, and then focus on, you know, building up your experience, building up your network, building up your capital, and then delve into other strategies. But we, we talked a lot about on the previous episode, like staying in your lane, you know, picking one strategy and going all in. So that's important. Yeah. And, and then one more point to touch across is like the education mode, you know, everyone has to be in there at some point, some time. And one of the things that tripped me up was, and it, it's my fault for kind of falling for it. There's no excuses, but it just, it happened and, and this could help others is you, you see a lot of these gurus who say, or even, even people on podcasts who say, I have 500 units or I own $30 million worth of real estate. And I, and I'm a multifamily investor. So how does that not make you want to say, I want to be a multifamily investor. I want that, you know, but the reality of it is, and I didn't know this fully at the time is, you know, just cause they have 500 units, they could own literally 1% of those 500 units. And that equals, I'm not, I'm not too good at math, five units, right? So it, it's just, once you understand, and maybe that's part of the education stage of really understanding how you're actually going to make money in all these different options is, is super important. So you actually pick the best strategy for you. Right. Yeah. There can be a lot of gurus that like promise certain returns or they say, yeah, I have that many units, but really you have to look at how much do they really own? How much are they making monthly off of that? Right. Because that's what matters to me, at least. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. you're taking home Same here. <laughs> off your right. investments. So how can one begin sourcing deals if they don't have a large marketing budget? We talked about door knocking, which may or may not work like nowadays, but what kind of deal sourcing strategies would you recommend? Yeah. And I actually, I literally just created a video that I really, I released it or it's coming out tomorrow, actually. I'm, 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 by the time this comes out, it'll already be out. But I, I released a video on basically the four main strategies that you could use for sourcing deals. Um, so the first one is door knocking or, or driving for dollars. So, you know, door knocking could be, you know, with COVID, it's iffy, but it's totally possible. I know people who are still doing it. But um, at the very least, the first one could be driving for dollars. So what this means is you're literally getting in your car, you can bike or you can walk. It might take forever, but you're literally driving around neighborhoods looking for distressed properties. And what that means is if the roof looks like it's fallen off, that's a distressed property. If the if the lawn is overgrown, that's a distressed property or potential. Um, 
if there's maybe boarded up on the wind, you know, if there's wood on the windows board, boarded up, just those signs that this house is ready to be transferred. <laughs> the, the, the owner doesn't want the house anymore. That's a great, that's a great way to do it. And you could either, you know, once you're driving around, you could either, there's three options with that as well. You could either say, okay, that's a, that's a distressed property. Go knock on the door and introduce yourself to the owner. You could either um, write down that address and skip trace it, which basically means look up the homeowner's contact information and contact them like over the phone. Uh, there's also a free site called Family Tree Now. It takes some time, but if you just type in the address, you could find the homeowner's contact information. And then if you want to go um, a little bit more advanced, you can, there's actually apps, um, driving for dollar apps that you see a property, you click a button and it'll, you know, it'll instantly send you all their information and different marketing options with that. So driving for dollars, that's the first strategy. Um, the second strategy, well, any, any questions about that one first? Well, I would just add, if you're going to do like the door knocking approach, um, the company I use for my marketing material, ballpointmarketing.com, they actually just came out with some awesome door hangers. So if you don't like the confrontation, you can just slip on a really attractive door hanger and that can be a good tool. Right. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Very good point. And um, yeah, so the, the next strategy I would use is cold calling. So what this would look like on, on a high level is you pull a list from any kind of data source so that I, I use PropStream for mine. There's like list source, there's batch leads, there's a lot of them, but PropStream, I think is a good one. And what you could do is look for homeowners in your market. You could search by different criteria, some of them being like vacant properties, properties with liens on them, different criteria that might indicate uh, motivation to sell. And what you do is start calling. You could either use your your cell phone, which is a great option to start, which is free. Just start uh, dialing by hand. If you want to go more advanced, spend a little bit of money, you can get what's called a power dialer, which is basically, it'll take all the numbers and basically preload them into your phone, essentially. And you don't ever have to put down your phone. It'll just keep calling and calling and calling. And that's a great way if you're you're looking to spend a little bit of money and get, get serious about it. Um, so that's, yeah, that's calling, cold calling. pretty brutal. I've uh, spent probably 10 hours of my career doing it. And, uh, I'm actually looking to go ahead and outsource that to, you know, an offshore solution. Uh, maybe, you know, they're not Americans, but they do have pretty good dialects and accents where they can still understand American culture. But I think whatever you do, like, like what you started out as, you know, you, you looked at your options and you're like, okay, this is the starting capital I have. This is what I want to achieve. So how do I do that? So maybe it is cold calling or door knocking. But um, I think if you want to buy your time back, eventually you have to start outsourcing those types of activities. hundred percent. Outsourcing is like the biggest thing to get to the next level. Mm -hmm. But um, especially for a beginner, I definitely recommend doing it yourself first, understanding. So that when you do outsource it, you actually know how to give feedback to that person. Because if you've ever done it before, it's going to be hard for you to give feedback besides, mm-hmm. oh, do better, get me more leads. Yeah, that sounds great, but but how or, or why? So um, yeah, definitely just doing it yourself and then outsourcing it is, is huge. Right. It helps when training a team to have done it before, right? Because you can 100%. explain the process and delegate it accordingly. Right. So the third piece of the deal sourcing in your video, what was that one? Yes, was actually direct mail. 
So I know okay. you, you, you know, a lot more. I, I personally haven't done any direct mail. I know you know a lot more about that than I do. Yes. Um, but essentially, and, and jump into is you're sending mail, like the mail you get in your mailbox to, to homeowners, the same kind of list that you'd pull for cold calling, or even my fourth thing, which is texting. Um, just these potentially motivated sellers, you pull lists, you'll have their address and you send them a letter. What, what else can you add about, about direct mail? Cause you, you, you know, more than me. Yeah. I mean, direct mail is my preferred strategy just because it has that, um, low barrier, not low barrier of entry, but, uh, low rejection because when you're cold calling, you're going to, you know, experience a lot of rejection, but I feel like direct mail is a little bit safer. <laughs> I don't have to worry about people hanging up on me or, or yelling at me. And I have, um, a team that takes all the calls for me as well. So it even it's almost, it's like it runs without me kind of thing. I just send the, um, the list off to the mail house and they kind of handle it from there. But I really like direct mail. Um, I've already gotten one deal from it in the last month and looking to ramp that up. So, but I would say it, it is more capital intensive. So unless you have like, uh, I don't know, two grand a month to spend, then it's probably not for you. Right. Uh, I would start out with the other strategies we're talking about, which is totally fine. You have to start somewhere. And honestly, one deal from those other strategies is going to pay for like three months of direct mail for you. So, right. Right. No, more. exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, the, f- the f- first two strategies are like super, not necessarily beginner because you can do it advanced. It just takes more. It, it's for people who have more time on their hands and capital. And the, 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 the second two strategies, direct mail and texting campaigns. That's perfect for somebody who says, okay, I have more money than time in my hands right now. Let's go this route. Yeah, exactly. And um, the fourth strategy you were going to allude to is SMS marketing, yeah, right? Exactly. So this is, this is literally just, instead of cold calling, you're basically cold text messaging. You can, you could do this from your, your personal cell phone, although it would take forever. Um, but if you want like a, a, a really low cost option, you could do it. The other option that most people take when doing SMS campaigns, what I do is just use a software that allows you to blast out the text messages. So we use a software called Launch Control. There's Batch Leads. There is Roar. There's so many different softwares out there. And it's not the software that's going to get you the deal. It's the person working the software. So don't get too caught up into which one's better. I would just get into pricing is important for sure. and then getting your, your system and your process and the people to actually work the leads. That'll be a lot more important. But again, that is probably, if I had to guess, I would guess it's more, well, maybe it depends how you worked it. It's capital intensive though. Definitely a strategy for, for someone looking to spend some money. We have a virtual assistant handling all of our campaigns. So we have to pay her hourly, the actual software. So it's probably pretty comparable to Direct mail, maybe a little bit less expensive, but definitely capital intensive and a little bit of time as well. Yeah. So what are you kind of saying in these text messages? Are you just saying, Hey, I noticed you own this property. Would you be open to a cash offer? Is that kind of the lingo? Yeah. So, and if anyone reaches out to me, I can give you the exact script we use because I don't have it in front of me. But what we, what we have learned from our, our campaigns, the more simple the introduction is, the, the first text, the better response rate we're getting. So we've tried every script in the book. We've tried, you know, 
what, yeah, everything. But we, what, we, what we realize is the more simple we can be, the better. So something as simple as, hey, John, I noticed you're home in McHenry or, you know, the town. Are you interested in selling your property? Just super straight to the point. He knows what we're doing. We're trying to buy his property or, you know, we're asking him if he's looking to sell. And it's not like some, it's not a scammy text. It's very just straightforward, simple. Uh, we, we've seen those messages work the best. Yeah. So to kind of tie a bow on our four strategies here, um, which were like the door knocking, the cold calling, the um, direct mail and the texting, I think it's important to be adaptable because yeah. I think legislation coming out is going to make it harder and harder to text people. Eventually it's going to get harder and harder to call like cold call because these carriers are flagging numbers and marking it as spam and such. So it's all about being adaptable and tailoring your strategies to what's obviously ethical at the moment and also like what's available to you. hundred percent. Yeah. So um, I also want to touch on, you talk a lot about in your podcast, we're kind of getting away from the how to, right? Um, we're now going to talk about the the mindset because I think you're really good on mindset and changing what I call or what you call limiting beliefs. So right. how does somebody go about identifying their limiting beliefs and eliminating them for good? And also you might want to touch on what is a limiting belief. <laughs> yeah. Great point. So I'll start with what is a limiting belief. So I describe a limiting belief is something that holds you back from realizing your potential. So a limiting belief could be some examples are, and there are other, you know, a substitute word could be an excuse, but a limiting belief is, I I think, more appropriate because an excuse is just a belief. it's, It's the mindset like you talked about. So some examples could be as simple as I'm not old enough. I don't have enough money. I'm not smart enough. I don't know the right people. And again, those are just a list of excuses, but they're limiting beliefs. They're, they're things that you're putting on yourself to limit your, yourself and, and, and it's holding you back. So everyone has them too. It's not, it's not like a shameful thing to, to have these limiting beliefs because it's, it's, I think it's natural, honestly. And I, I haven't met anybody who has not had any limiting beliefs. So when I was first getting started, and I know a lot of other young investors, but it happens for everybody is... The, the the biggest thing is I'm not old enough to get started. That's or and I, I don't I don't I don't know enough to get started. Those are like the two biggest things that I had to overcome because I was like I was talking to people and um yeah I, I I was pretty I was nervous myself. I I had a lot of limiting beliefs about how I can get started if I'm old enough to actually own a property. I didn't know these things. So the the best way to get rid of limiting beliefs and it, and this is really the theme that I, that I realized for the solution to everything in life is who you're surrounded by is your network. So for me, another one, another one of my biggest limiting beliefs was I don't know enough to share the information with other people. So I didn't, I didn't want to, I kind of wanted to start a podcast. Like this was like a year ago. I wanted to start a meetup group, but I was like, who's going to, I don't, I don't know anything. Why are people going to come to my meetup? There's, there's just no way. The way I got over it is I literally just talked with somebody who's farther ahead in their journey than I am. Who's who he crushed the limiting belief for himself already and, and realized that I just needed a little bit of 
just a little bit of talking to, to, to get me to realize that, um, I don't need to be the smartest person or know the most or own the most amount of real estate to start a meetup group. It's something that anybody could start at any age, any point of life. So the, again, to answer your question, the main part about crushing limiting beliefs is surrounding yourself with people who are just farther ahead or, or doing what you think you can't do and having them. And it takes a lot of effort from your end as well, but it's convincing yourself that you can. And uh, one more example as well is when I was first getting started, one of the biggest things that helped me go from, I'm interested in real estate. I want to get involved. I don't really know how to, oh my God, I can do this. I guarantee you I can do this. I met somebody. His name is Kyle Marcotte. He's, he was 21 or 22 at the time. I was 19 at the time. And he's like, dude, I just closed. Well, it was the second deal at the time. So he goes, I have two deals under my belt. I've done a 12 unit and a hundred and something unit. I raised like $500,000. He just kind of told me what he did. And I'm like, boom, if he can do it, I can do it. Now, I didn't exactly know how to do it just yet. But the first piece is knowing and believing that you can do it. Because if you don't have that first, you're never gonna, going to seek out how to actually do it. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I was just smiling as you were given that example of that guy. Because in my own life, uh, my first podcast episode guest, Michael Bowman, he's 23, you know, already owns a 32-unit apartment complex, crossed the millionaire threshold, and he's younger than me. So it's like the quickest way to change your limiting beliefs is to hang around people who don't have them. Right. To to give like a tangible aspect to this, you know, unfollow everybody on your Facebook feed that isn't empowering you. Because now when I look at my Facebook feed, it's all people who are like above me doing better and who whose mindset is more advanced than mine. So it's really easier for me to crush those limiting beliefs than if I was hanging around with the old friends or the wrong people. Not that that's they're bad people, but it's just they have limiting beliefs that I want to break free from. So it doesn't make sense for me to continue to surround myself with those beliefs. So where do you think these limiting beliefs come from? Is it from childhood? Is it from grade school? And how can we prevent new ones from cropping up in the future? Yeah, I think, you know, where they come from, I think it's just natural, honestly. Even me, I grew up, I had like a ton of confidence. I still do. But even growing up as a kid, I was always a very confident person. But I think the reason why I had limiting beliefs with real estate is because it was brand new and it, and I just didn't understand it enough to know that I actually could. Now I can look at someone at any age and confidently tell them no matter where they are, they can get into real estate. At the time when I was, when I was 19, I couldn't look in the mirror and tell myself that because I just didn't fully believe it. So once I got the education and met the right people, that's what helped me get over it. And then preventing them in the future I think they're always going to come up because right now, me and my partner have mainly done deals in the $150,000, $250,000 range. We just got a property that was almost $800,000. So like every time we do something new and bigger and different, it's, there's always going to be something that gets you nervous. Now, when I, when I hear $800,000 property, I don't, my head doesn't like explode. I'm like, that's manageable. When I first was like, oh my God, this is like a big, big freaking project. I was like, you know, I was still getting a little bit of those like hesitations because it's brand new to me. So again, I don't think there's any way to prevent them, honestly. But as long as you're surrounded by the right people, when they do come up, you'll be able to crush them super fast. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's also a strategy that I read about in a book. It's writing those beliefs down on the left side of a page and then on the right side of a page, writing like what's true. So on the left side of the page, you might say, I'm not old enough. And on the right side of the page, you'd say, there are individuals younger than me that are exceeding my wildest dreams. Because right. there's always people younger than you, um, if that's your limiting belief. There's always people young, younger than you that are way above your level. If your limiting 100%. belief is like, um, I can't be loved by someone because of my past. Let's take this non-real estate related. Then on the right side of the page, you may write, you know, I am lovable. I have these great qualities. I will meet my soulmate. So that's a tangible strategy that I've heard of in the past that could crush those limiting beliefs. Right. 100% agree. Those were great examples. Yeah. So the last kind of third of the show, I want to talk about networking because I would say you're a really good networker. You obviously run your own podcast with over 80 episodes. You've appeared on multiple podcasts. So you're doing something right in the networking space. You're making connections all the time. You're partnering with other people on deals. So how did you begin networking with those A players as a newbie? Yeah, great, great question. And I, I have two main strategies that I used. Anybody can use them, especially just getting started. And because when I, when I started, again, I had zero network. I knew zero people in the real estate space, but two strategies I used to build my network. So we'll start with um, bigger pockets. So once I realized that I want to actually, you know, take the next step and start meeting people and networking, I went to bigger pockets and they have a whole section called network. And you can literally type in where, you know, the location that you're at or the, or the market that you're interested in, search that in and you'll get hundreds, if not thousands of people that, um, come up in your market. So what I would do is I made it my goal in the, you know, in the beginning to message three people every single day. And that message would look something, well, actually, let me say this. My initial message was super like cringy. It was not like a well-written message, um, which obviously I I want it to be as well-written as possible. But the point is, I still got plenty of people that responded to me. I still made tons of connections from it. And you don't have to wait to craft that perfect message to send it. Just get what you think is good, send it, and you can kind of tweak it as you go. But um you know, a message could say, you know, hey, Bailey, and, and, and you always want to add in something personal. So, hey, Bailey, I see on your profile that you focus on fix and flips and you've been doing, you know, you've done 14 deals in your, in your life, whatever it may be. I'm super impressed by your story and would love to get to know you better. Something like that. And you do that three times a day to, to people in your market. And, and, and over the course of 30 days, that's 90 people you're messaging. If you want to ramp it up, you can do five people a day, 10 people a day. I would start it small though, just so you can get consistency going and then scale it up. But from there, you you message them and you hop on a phone call with them. On that phone call, I remember one of my first phone calls. I had no idea what the purpose of it was. I just wanted to talk to people in the space. So it's just really getting to know them and them getting to know you. And from there, you just see who you like, who you click with, who inspires you what kind of sparks. So you might be talking to 20 people over the phone and only a couple of them, you're like, I like them. I want to know them better. Let me take them out to coffee or to lunch. 
So you can go from there, you know, invite them out for lunch or, or coffee or whatever it is. Um, and from there, maybe they're a lot farther ahead of you and you can either shadow them, run some errands for them. Maybe you can even partner on a deal with them. It can go so many different places, but just building that connection and you got to do it at least on Zoom. I know in person could be weird right now, but at least on Zoom. And if, if you do that consistently on bigger pockets, I guarantee you, you will grow big network super fast. So that's the first strategy. You have any questions or anything specific I didn't cover about that one? No, I, I was just going to say it doesn't really get much more straightforward than that. Go to biggerpockets.com, create a free account, hit yeah. the network button, and then you literally have a bunch of people that you can reach out to in your local market. Invite exactly. them to a coffee or lunch and pay for it. And then don't approach it as like, hey, I want to pick your brain. I think people definitely don't want to hear that. Right. But I w- just say, I want to introduce myself, make connections, see how I can help you as well. Right. Right. And, th- and then again, throw into that personal touch of s- something that you see that they already put out there. Because if they put it out there, yep. they want you to see it. So if you acknowledge that you saw something that they wanted you to see, that's going to make them feel better than just, hey, I want to get to know you. My name is yeah. Bailey. If like, you can what? give them the impression <laughs> that you're not a fresh, fresh, fresh beginner and that you actually know some things that you've listened to podcasts that you've listened to their videos, then that'll definitely help. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, last thing I want to mention about that point too, is you obviously want to be honest of where you're at, but this strategy is only good for somebody who's actually like serious and ready to, they might not know exactly what they want to do, but they, they know that they, that they're, they're hungry for something. So it, it's, it's important to be honest of where you're at, but also tell them where you're going. If you say, hey, my name is Bailey, I have zero units and I have no network, you're just throwing yourself under the bus. But if you say, hey, my name is Bailey, I'm just getting started in real estate. I am super interested in fix and flips. And I saw that you're, you've been doing a bunch of fix and flips and maybe tell them you have a W2 job you're working. I currently work for this, but I'm, I plan to get out in the next couple of years. Just being upfront with people. But don't, yeah, like he's, don't just throw yourself under the bus and say, I'm not qualified. I'd love to talk to you because that's just silly. (laughs) Yeah. And so when you do approach those people, if you're going out for coffee or lunch, hold your head up straight, you know, stand with your back straight and shake their hand. Like you're almost their equal, even though you know that they may have hundreds of units or they're way above you. Like don't put yourself in that position of inferiority treat yourself like an equal. Yeah, totally. Totally. All right. So so the second strategy of networking you. Yeah. The second strategy that, that I use and everyone right now can definitely use this strategy is okay. So it's like this, you listen to a podcast. The point of the podcast is to consume information. Maybe it's entertainment for some, but if you're listening to a podcast and you're kind of paying attention you're definitely going to get some education or some golden nuggets out of it. Maybe even some motivation. That's great. If you want to take it to the next level and throw in the networking piece, at the end of every single podcast I've ever listened to, they either ask the guest how they can get in contact with them or they throw their information down in the show notes and you can connect with them that way. But when the podcast host asks the guest, how can the listeners get a hold of you? They're literally letting the listeners know every single way that they want to be contacted, either giving out emails, phone numbers, or certain social media platforms where they say, hit me here and I got you. 
That's what they're saying. And most people don't take anybody up on this, but especially starting out. And and two, this is a way to network with the, especially the A players. Because on bigger pockets, you could have a mix of, of newbies to pros. And it's good to network with all of them. But if you want to specifically hit on A players, when you're listening to podcasts and you're finished with the episode, don't just move on to the next one. Reach out to the guest on the platform they want to be contacted on. And similarly to the message you'd write on Bigger Pockets, you'd write something like this. Hey, Bailey, I heard you on Dallin's podcast where you talked about crushing limiting beliefs and I'm super inspired by it. I'd love to get to know you better and then your name. Something super simple, but personal and shows that you actually put in time and effort. And from my experience, you'll get a lot of people to respond to you if you do it that way. Yeah, that single piece of advice really changed my life really when I heard that from you. And I'm applying that like right now in getting guests on the podcast. And I feel like it has a really good like rate of return. So like I might reach out to five people and one responds. And you may think that's like bad, but it's actually pretty good because these are folks that are really at the top of their game at a high level and they're doing big things. So if I can just make one of those connections, say a week, that's four a month, that's 50 new people a year I'm connecting with. And then if I plug that person into my, you know, system or Excel spreadsheet, I can keep following up with them. So actually an offshoot question would be like, how are you keeping track of all these people? Do you have a personal CRM customer relationship manager or how are you keeping track of them? Yeah. So back in the very beginning, like I mentioned, when I was in like full on networking mode, I used a software called monday.com and I don't necessarily recommend it or not recommend it. The point is it doesn't really matter what you use. The whole point of the CRM and what you need to take note of while you're networking is just obviously their basic information, their name, their phone number, their email, whatever you kind of can gather on the surface. And then most importantly, what was said in the conversation? So just some notes. Maybe they said, hey, I'm going on vacation in two weeks. Or yeah, I have um, a few kids. Or I have a husband. I have a wife. Just those personal things that you just want to know for when you follow up with them. And the way you can follow up with them is put the date that you contacted them. And this could be on Excel too. If you would just start out or Google Sheets, it can be super simple. Write down the day that you talk to them and put it out a month later to follow up or depending on who they are and, and what kind of relationship can be made there more frequently, or I probably wouldn't go too too much farther out than, than a month or six weeks. But yeah, just throwing in those personal touches, the notes, what you talked about, so that when you get on the phone with them, it could be like a catching up call, not like a wait, remind me who you are again. I, I kind of forgot. I know we kind of talked, but when and where, if you could say, you know, if you could shoot an email, hey, it's been a couple of weeks since we chatted. Um, How's everything going with your family or whatever personal touch they mentioned that that'll go a long way. Yeah. Really building that personal relationship outside of real estate. And then I think everything else will take care of itself in real estate. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I know you're big on personal branding because you're doing your YouTube now and all this stuff, your podcast. So what are the kind of the, you know, the tools and social media channels you're focusing on that would be best suited for a real estate investor? Yeah. So uh, again, like everything, it it depends on your goal and your brand. So for me, the main channels I'm focused on is YouTube, Instagram, and I'm just starting to do a little bit of TikTok. It's kind of an experiment for me right now, but um, it also depends on what your goal 
within social media is if you want to be some super professional person and connect with those professional type people and post professional type content, LinkedIn would be great. And there's people who are crushing it on LinkedIn. It's not really the best strategy for me, I don't think personally, because the audience that I'm trying to connect with on the YouTube, Instagram, TikTok are people that I can actually help and teach and inspire real estate to. There's still plenty of people on LinkedIn that I'm sure I could, that I could touch and help. But my main focus is on the younger demographic. So I'm hanging out more on the YouTube space and Instagram. And then again, like I said, started TikTok. Again, there's no age restriction. If you're 50, 60 years old, you can still do TikTok. There's no age. But what I would say is typically it just depends on the audience that you're trying to target. Yeah, I would say that Instagram and YouTube are more towards the younger. Well, I don't know about... I mean, I would say it's pretty even across the board, but definitely you got to know what you're getting into with the social channels. Don't try to do them all at once or I yeah. think you're going to fail unless you have a personal videographer or a big team and so forth. Right. So the next question I have is, you know, you're big on accountability and I think this is awesome. Like, for example, you held me accountable for starting this show. And I think a lot of people are going to be thankful that you did that because they benefit from this show. So how can people find friends or colleagues who will hold them accountable, especially if they have a friends group right now, that's not really high achieving or motivating for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good question. So accountability is huge because you'll do more for others than you will for yourself. That that's just, that's just how human nature is. Maybe there's some, some rare ones out there that, that isn't like that, but accountability is big because if you're giving your maximum effort towards someone else and they're giving it back, you're going to both elevate super high, higher than you could by yourself. So what I would say about finding accountability is again, the networking piece. I can't even remember. I know we connected on some social media platform. How do we get connected? Well, I think I reached out to you just based on the podcast. Was it, okay, the so podcast. I, I asked you, you know, I see that you're kind of getting started, but you're several episodes in. So how can I go ahead and learn? And then you sent me a free course, which basically told me A to Z what to do. And for free. So I really admired that about you, that you added value up front without needing anything in return. Yeah. And I think people that do that, the trend is there on the way up because of those qualities. Right, right for sure. And then, yeah, thank you for that. And then, yeah, like the, the, the question you asked about how to find accountability, there's really a couple of ways. One is you could literally, once you have, if you have a group of friends that aren't super high achieving, try to find a different group of friends who are. And you could literally say, hey guys, Let's get some accountability going. I need to be held accountable for posting on social media or underwriting deals. Can you text me asking me or, or just check up on me asking if I, if I did it? It can be as simple as that. There's, there's paid groups like mastermind groups that has like more accountabilities or could be more accountability since you're actually putting money on the line. Well, not money on the line. You're, you're investing money and you don't want to just not do anything after you invested money. You want to actually perform so you make it worthwhile. It could even be social media. You could literally post on social media. This is actually something I did. I am doing a 30-day challenge or I want to underwrite one deal a day and I'm going to let you guys know when I do it. And you can literally have social media hold you accountable. And it could be as simple as that. I personally like holding people accountable because it holds me accountable. And it also, it's part of what I like to do is, is help other people. So I know when, when we connected, you're like, yeah, I think I'm starting, I'm starting a podcast. I just don't really know when or where or how I'm like, dude, it's not that complicated. 
there's a lot, there's a lot to it, but you don't need months. If you're going to do it and you need months to do it, you pick the wrong thing. So I'm like, I'm going to email you in, I think I said like two weeks. I'm like, you better have something going or, or, you know, you, you, you just better have something going. I'll, I'll email you. Actually, I, I didn't even tell you when I was going to email you. I just actually put a note in my calendar, letting you know, I'm going to be following up. And, you know, you, you had all the tools, all the resources. So I, I kind of put a mystery behind it too. So you, you, you didn't know when I was going to follow up, which I think helps a little bit too. But yeah. um, when I initially told you when I'd get started, I'm like, yeah, sometime within the next two months. And you're like, <laughs> there's no way you need that much time. <laughs> And so yeah. two weeks later, when I got your email, I'm like, oh crap, I have to schedule my first recording, <laughs> but I did. And here right. we are on the fifth recording already. So, right. Yeah. Having and accountability it, is huge. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and like I mentioned, I just finished my mastermind group, which helped me, which literally held me accountable for a whole year. And now that that's ended, I'm seeking more accountability. I'm even strategizing for myself what the best accountability is. Do I want to just do like the strategy I mentioned, just tell everyone on social media what I'm doing and then post them out every day. Do I want to create a little group, which I'm actually kind of leaning towards now of just finding a few people who have similar goals in the similar space and just, you know, maybe chatting once or twice a week, or maybe sending a message in a group chat when you're done with the task or whatever it is. There's so many different ways and a bunch of different aspects of your life too. You can have different accountability for, which is kind of cool too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know we're approaching the hour mark already somehow, and I really don't want to stop this episode because I think this is like the definitive episode on getting started in real estate. And you shouldn't have any excuses after this episode. Let's just say that. But I want to touch on kind of what deals you're working on now um, and what you're up to, where you're headed from here. I know you're working on a short-term rental as well. So maybe- Yeah. So yeah, the the, the biggest thing that we're working on right now are short-term rentals, Airbnbs, we have um, two properties. One is in Northern Illinois. One's in Southern Wisconsin. Um, they're crazy deals. One of them, they're actually both use creative financing. So one seller financing, one we did subject to, uh, which is a whole nother conversation in itself. But they're, you know, the one in Northern Illinois is the biggest deal I've done. That's like the $800,000 deal. We raised $180,000 from investors. We're charging $1,300 a night. It's on two acres. It's, it can fit 20 people. It's crazy, especially for, I think, a first Airbnb. Um, that's that one. We're doing a more of a standard, I guess, Airbnb, three bedroom, one bath, two bath home in, in, uh, in Southern Wisconsin, a, a town called Lake Geneva. So those are, that's kind of my main focus right now. We actually already have bookings for the, for the, um, for the larger property and we're not finished yet with the rehab. So. We're, we, we have our guests move, coming in in like 13 days or something like that. And we still have a decent amount of work to do. So we're head down and, and focused on that right now. And I'm actually posting like updates and I'll be going literally from A to Z on those deals on, on my socials to kind of give everyone the inside look as well. So, you know, if your listeners are interested, follow me literally on any socials, I'll be posting about it. But those are kind of the two deals I'm working on. And then going forward, I think getting into more Airbnb short-term rentals is something that aligns with me because you can do single family, which I already mentioned all the benefits of single family and, and why it's good for just getting started. And then also the cash flow perspective is, is super high. I genuinely enjoy it's 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 a whole different business because it's like hospitality, but I enjoy it and I like creating experiences for others. So I think Airbnbs is where I'm gonna be headed uh, most in the future. Awesome. 
Yeah, it's all about finding what strategy works for you because, you know, my personal strategy, I'd rather do long-term for reasons I we don't need to get into, but just I prefer the long-term. So, and you prefer yeah. the short-term. That's, that's wonderful. Whatever works best for you. Right, right. Um, so the last part of our show, uh, I love this part. It's called the triple threat. And I asked the same three questions. So what is the app, resource, or tool that has been the biggest game changer in your business today? Yeah, great, great question. I love, love that, the triple threat. <laughs> I would say the best, the, the number one resource is PropStream. Just because we're doing mm. all of our lead generation, um, we're doing off-market lead gen. So you need some type of data source to get you those people that you can then use one of the four strategies that we talked about to actually target these people, get in front of the homeowner. So PropStream has been the biggest tool that we've used um, so far. Yeah, I love PropStream. And I would even argue that it's a must even when you're getting started. It's only $97 a month, but it'll build the foundation for you. It'll give you all that data that you'd have to buy either way. For sure. What is the biggest failure in the last year? And why do you think that happened? Ooh, biggest failure. That's a, that's a really good question. Um, I think, wow, there's, there hasn't been one like major thing that I just totally messed up on just yet. There, there will be in the future, I'm sure. But I would say, I would say there, there's been small hiccups. Like, like I mentioned, I spent, I wouldn't say wasted. I, I spent and I invested six months of time just learning about multifamily real estate and then to realize that it's not right for me right now. So there's, there's certain mistakes where I'm like, in hindsight, I probably would have just spent a couple of weeks learning about it and then realized that it wasn't right for me right now. That's probably the biggest mistake I made so far. There's obviously been tons of hiccups along the way, but um, as, far, as far as a time perspective and yeah, because there hasn't been any money mistakes just yet, but time, I would say definitely just not knowing what I actually wanted to do you know, fast enough. Yeah. Having clarity of thought is really important and it can save you a lot of time. There's nothing wrong with going through that experience. Now you yeah. know more Yeah. if you ever go into multifamily one day. Yeah, for the sure. Last of the three is our podcast is all about helping others achieve freedom with real estate investing, whether that's financial, lifestyle, or otherwise. So what does freedom mean to you? Great question. Freedom for me and the whole reason why I got started and most interested in real estate was to achieve freedom. So what that means for me is first and foremost, time freedom. That's like the main thing I actually really care about. And that's to be able to do whatever I want when I want to do it. So if I want to, if I want to go take a nap right now or go uh, hang out with friends or what, whatever I wanted to do, I just want to have that freedom to be able to do so. So that's like the first and, and biggest freedom that I'm out, out, out for is, you know, one thing that I think is cool. I don't necessarily, it's not really a goal. I might want to do it. I just want, again, I just want the option. Maybe I want to go travel around the country or, or international for a little bit, just having that time freedom. And then the thing that comes with it, cause you can't just, you know, if I just went and just traveled for a couple months, I would be broke and I'd have the credit card companies calling me. So the next piece that, the, you know, the first piece I need before I achieve the time freedom is the big buzzword financial freedom. And again, that's just being able to have money coming in so that you can go travel for a couple months and you'll be totally fine. Your expenses will be covered and those businesses, those properties will run by by themselves. So those are the two freedoms that I'm uh, searching for. And 
the, you know, what it means, it just means flexibility. It means options and it means um, choices. And that's, that's the biggest thing that I'm look, looking for. Awesome. Yeah. So where can listeners get a hold of you? Because this is part of the show where you mentioned earlier, <laughs> people can take action now, you know, he's an open book and you can get a hold of Bailey. He's super friendly and he'll um, tell you basically everything he knows. Um, yeah. So where 100%. can listeners get a hold of you? Yeah. Uh, first, you know, there's a few different social media channels. Like I said, Instagram is the first one. If you actually want to connect with me um, or just, or if you just want to watch my content, that's cool too. But um, Instagram's where I'm active daily. From there, I have links in my, in my bio to every other social media platform. Like I said, YouTube is something I'm going for. I have a LinkedIn, I have a Facebook, but if you have an Instagram, I would just check me out there first. You can connect with me. You can message me. You can do whatever you want. You can find my other socials there. And yeah, for sure. I'd love to connect with any of the listeners because that's one of the things that I preach that helped me get started. And I'm encouraging, you know, all your listeners to do the same because I know how much of an impact it does make. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Bailey, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show and sharing your knowledge. And I think people can come back to this when I say, you know, this is the definitive episode on getting started. If they ever ask that question, I'm going to point them to this episode. Is that fair? <laughs> I appreciate that. And um, that, that's my goal right now is to help people get started. I don't have any paid programs or anything like that. I, I genuinely just want to help people get started, whether that's through my content or connect with people personal or even things like this, doing podcasts. So I, I appreciate you, you saying that. And it's, it's always super exciting when I can ever, whenever I can help anyone get started with anything, whether it's a thought in their head or literally buying a deal or even starting a podcast, that's really the thing that I'm out for. So super, super much appreciate it. And, and thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review and tune in next week for the next episode.